0: Next we're going to read from God's Word. This morning we're reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Ephesians six, ten through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God This is the word of the Lord. Today we are finishing looking at this series on the armor of God. We're in this well-known passage that describes the armor of God and the warfare that surrounds its use. And as we noted a few weeks back, there's an outlook that Paul brings. There's a mindset he wants us to adopt. Now, what's, what's that mindset? It's, it's a wartime mindset, verse 12, for our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, against spiritual forces in the heavens. And so what he's reminding us, what he wants us to, to always see as, as the lens in which you're looking at your life, that you're looking at this world, life is a struggle, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Don't see things merely at the human level, that this is about people, that this is about my mere human concerns or, or against political issues or against financial issues. Those things are struggles, but there is a struggle underneath the struggle. And especially if you're a Christian, life is a spiritual struggle. It involves these cosmic powers of darkness. It involves evil spiritual forces at the same time. So that means that the struggle with with your assignment also involves angelic struggle. It means that the struggle with your bad temper also intertwines with a tempter in the spiritual realm. It means that your legal filings also linked to spiritual authorities, not just governmental authorities. And so you must recognize the nature of that struggle and you have to deal with it at the natural and the supernatural level. And, and you just can't live in denial about this, this greater, this wider but invisible spiritual reality in which all of these things are taking place. I had a friend, I had a friend who lived in denial, his marriage. His family was, was falling apart. Now, I'm not talking about anyone here. I'm not talking about anyone that you know. But it was falling apart, and his wife was trying, was trying to get him to see, trying to get him to, to seek help, to get some help. His wife was asking other people to get involved. But, but the man, my, my friend, he could not bear to admit the reality he couldn't bear to see it and so instead if if you were to ask him how he was doing everything always was fine and and with an open countenance and with a, just a constant smile on his face he was just extremely avoidant it was his way of, of protecting himself he couldn't bear to acknowledge the massive wound in himself in in their marriage that was just bleeding out and so that meant that in their home in their marriage as Bombs were dropping, his buildings were collapsing. He just wouldn't, he couldn't engage with it until he was finally forced to. He was finally forced to see the sad reality and to, to get help. Now, for you, in, in the reality of your life, this spiritual struggle, you've got to acknowledge the reality of the struggle, that it's intertwined with your life, with your situation, with your problems, because. The spiritual struggle requires a spiritual response. The spiritual struggle requires a spiritual response. You can't be a soldier. You can't be a soldier and show up for battle with a soccer ball. You have got to show up with a sword. That's the only appropriate tool for that kind of battle. And so so this morning, we're going to look at the spiritual practices, some of the spiritual practices that you have to bring to your spiritual struggle. We're going to focus on the final verses of our passage, verses 17 and 18 and a little bit into 19 and 20. And so here's the call, here's the spiritual response that we're called to, read, pray, and then speak, read, pray, and then speak. Now let's let's look at each of these. First of all, read, read. This is from verse 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we looked last week at the helmet of salvation. Now he says to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And so he, he's continuing in this extended metaphor. In this extended metaphor, we've so far looked at these defensive components to the spiritual armor. We've looked at this, this chest plate. We've looked at the war belt. We've looked at the shield. Now, this is the first piece of equipment that can attack. This is a sword. Now, it's this metaphor. It's this analogy with uh, Roman armor in view. Is, is, this a, is this a heavy sword? Is this a, a short sword or a long sword? Is it a, a sword with powers? Is it like a magic sword? It's called here the sword of the spirit. And and that means for us in our spiritual struggles, in the reality of what we're living in, it means that this is the most fitting weapon that you could bring to the battle. If your struggle was only medical, then you would need some kind of medical tool. If your struggle was only financial in nature, well, then you would need some kind of financial instrument to deal with your challenge. But if your struggle is spiritual, And your foe, your enemy, is spiritual. You need a spiritual weapon. And if you don't use it, if you don't have it, you are showing up to battle with a football. It makes no sense. It will not help you. And this is the spiritual sword. It's called the sword of the spirit. And the spirit here is, it's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. And so this is a divinely created weapon. This is a sword From God, no human crafted this weapon. Now, what is this sword of the Spirit? This can sound very well, just otherworldly and kind of abstract. Well, how do you? What what are we talking about? Verse seventeen, it says it's the Word of God. Okay, the analogy is clear. It's talking about the Word of God. How is but how is the Word of God a sword? Well, there are two senses in which he's using the Word of God. Two senses. First of all, the Word of God—it's just Scripture. It's the Bible the divinely inspired Word of God written down in these bound books, in these electronic copies that we have on our devices. It's the words that are given to us in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. They are the Word of God written down. Now that Word is like a sword. Listen to how Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is like a spiritual sword. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so, what does that mean? It, it means the Bible, it, it's, it's a sword, but it's a very strange sword. It means as you read. The Word of God, as you hear the Word of God, it means the Spirit of God can pierce you, it can pierce you deeply, it can say things that can go right to your heart, it can cut you, and so maybe maybe you you 're a person who has wasted your life you 've wasted it, wasted it on pleasure you 've wasted it on pornography. Or maybe you're a person who has escaped your life. You are running away and you've escaped your life. You've you've dove deep into substance abuse. And somehow in the middle of that, the word has come to you. Maybe you're just flipping through a Bible. Or maybe you're just listening to the Word of God being preached. And you hear. You hear something in it. Maybe you hear about the sun. Who leaves home in Luke in Luke 15? The story of that rich son who who left home, who spent the entirety of his inheritance on women, on fun, on drink, and and somewhere along the way, he lost his way in life. And his money ran out. And he woke up. And he says, What have I done? What have I done? What have I done with my life? I've ruined myself. And and maybe for you, you're in that kind of situation and the word comes to you and suddenly you see yourself. You see yourself in that word and it cuts you to the heart and and you turn to God. Maybe you turn to God for the first time. Maybe it's the 50th time you've turned to God. But the word of God, the sword of the spirit has gone to your heart. I, I have a friend, I have a friend who Long ago, he was a dealer, he was a drug dealer, and he was a drug user. And in another time, in another city, there he was. He, and it was late at night, and he was stoned. And the radio was playing, and over the radio, if I remember correctly, he was, he was scanning the frequency, uh, the frequencies, and he came across one of those, those old-timey Christian radio stations. And on that radio station, the word of God was being preached. And the word of the Lord, at that moment, came to him and for him the word that came to him was tonight you will die it was it was like the word of the Lord that was spoken to Belshazzar and and for my friend when he heard that it penetrated through the drug haze and it cut him to the heart the word of God plunged into him and that night he turned to God and he left behind his death he left behind his sin and today He's a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the sword of the Spirit is the word of God in the scriptures. I urge you to read it. I urge you to listen to it, to hear it preached, and to let it stab through all of your defenses. Let it cut you. Let it convict you. Let it condemn you. Let it wake you up. The old saying is true the the word of God is the only sword. That when it's plunged into you, it will kill you, and it will bring you to life. But you can use this. You can use the the sword also to defend yourself. You can also use it to defend yourself in your struggle. Whatever struggle you're facing, you are going to be facing temptations. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you think my struggle is I'm just trying to train my child. Well, you've got your own temptations in that. In your parenting struggle. You also have your own temptations as you try to be a faithful and a good parent. Maybe you've got a temptation to parent, but your temptation is to parent out of fear. You're you're you have a temptation to parent out of a fear of your reputation. And and when that's going on, when that's going on, you you end up becoming too hard on your kid. You're too hard on your kids behavior because you're afraid. You're afraid about your reputation. Or, or you're afraid, you're afraid that they don't, if they don't study hard, if they don't make the right grades, well, they're going to mess up their life, and so you're, you're full of fear, and, and you're too hard on them when you address this. Or, or maybe, your kid is, maybe your kid is dating somebody, dating someone who is just, I don't know, they're, they're just different. And, and the conversation that they're having with you about the person they're dating, you get way too intense about it, because you're afraid. That's your temptation. You're afraid of what people are going to think about you and your child and this different kind of person that they're dating. You have got to bring the sword. You've got to bring the sword, the word of God, to your temptation. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what Jesus did when he was tempted? Recall how at every point when the devil tempted Jesus, Jesus recalled the word. He, he used the sword. It was by the Spirit's help. For instance, the devil tempted Jesus to doubt that God loved him, that he was my beloved son. Well, what did Jesus do with that temptation? Jesus brought the sword. Jesus brought the word of God. The devil also tempted Jesus to let bodily desires, his hunger, bodily impulses control him. What did Jesus do with that temptation? Jesus brought the sword. Jesus brought the word of God. The devil also tempted Jesus with material prosperity. The devil prospered Tempted Jesus with social prominence. Jesus brought the sword. He brought the word of God to each one of those temptations. Matthew 4, 10. Then Jesus said to the devil, Away with you, Satan, for it is written in the word of God, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. He used the sword. What happened then? Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Jesus took up the sword, the word of God. And so that means over and over, you must read your Bible. You must read the word of God, and you must take up the word of God to resist your own particular, personal temptations. You've got to take up the word of God and use it to, to make sense of what is going on in this, what's going on in my heart, what's going on with all these people, with all these things that I'm afraid of. They're coming against me. You need to to take up the word of God to to interpret your challenges. This requires that you, you have to stay in the word. You've got to stay in the word. You can't talk about this time when you were really into your Bible five years ago. You've got to stay in the word. It's like your meals. You don't skip meals, do you? Or if you do, you really notice it. It doesn't go on very long. Don't skip reading and hearing the word of God. Read your Bible, listen to good stuff, listen to people who will teach the word faithfully. Attend the preaching of the word and expect this. Expect that the Holy Spirit will take all of that intake and will settle the word into your mind into these familiar grooves so that it starts to become very natural to your thinking. Take up the word so that eventually, eventually, you get to the point that the word is instinctive for you. That's the work of the spirit. You want to think of it this way. You almost want to become compulsive, compulsive in taking up the word for every struggle that you face. You're in some kind of relationship crisis, or or maybe you're just down in the dumps, or maybe you get elevated to new levels of, of praise and responsibility. Take up the word. Make it something you compulsively do when each of these things is happening. Take up the word. Think about the word, this, this sword for your spiritual struggle. Think, think, think about how we do this with, with something else. Isn't there something else that you compulsively pick up at almost every single moment of your day? Think about how we pick up our devices for everything, all the time, repeatedly. You see something beautiful in the sky. What do you do? You pick up your phone to take a picture. You're wondering how to get a stain Out of your garment, what do you do? You pick up your phone and you look for stain removal advice. You're wondering how to dress for the weather today? You pick up your phone compulsively to get the forecast. You pick up your phone compulsively for everything, all the time. How about this? Take up the word of God compulsively for everything, all the time. Someone's mad at you. Someone's mad at you take up the word. Let it instruct you. Let it let it guide and restrict how you respond to the conflict. Someone's out there talking trash about you. Take up the word. Let it bridle your tongue. Let it tame your heart. Maybe you wish that you could be in a relationship. And so you're not, and so your heart is breaking. Or you wish that you could be out of a relationship because your heart is breaking. Take up the word. And let it interpret your heart. Let it guide your heart and and how you're going to respond to this. Now there's also a second sense in which he's he's talking about the word of God being a sword. There's a second sense. The word of God is also the gospel. That's very clear. Earlier in this this epistle, this, this theological letter, Paul makes the connection between the Holy Spirit, the word of God, and the gospel. In Ephesians 1, verse 13, he says, In him... Christ you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he says there, the word of truth, the word of God, it's also the gospel. The gospel is the sword. The gospel is the sword that the Holy Spirit will use to overthrow all of the evil that is worked by the devil in this world. Colossians 2 says that on the cross, he's talking about the gospel, on the cross, Jesus disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. The crucifixion and the death of Jesus, the resurrection and the life of Jesus, it was a total win. The Bible describes it as a crushing of the head of the serpent, your spiritual enemy, the enemy of our souls. And so that means... That means the gospel is the sword that's used by the Spirit of God to undo everything bad in your life. That means the gospel is the sword used by the Spirit of God to undo everything sad about your life. And perhaps today, maybe today you are, you're low. You're very, very low. Take up the gospel The truth of the gospel, the magnitude of the implications of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, the substitutionary atonement of Jesus, take it up and connect it to your life. I remember a time that I was very worried. I was very worried about my job. Uh, it, was, it was in my previous line of work. It was before I became a pastor. and I remember being at one of these conferences. It was in another city. It was huge. People all around. It was in some other city, and I was away from home, away from my family. And I remember at that time, I was so anxious about my job, the, the stability, the security of my job. I remember being so fearful, so scared. I was worried that I would lose my job. I was worried about where will I live if I lose my job? And I remember being in the middle of the conference hall and inside i was crying out to lord to help me help me in my fears and i remember and i remember that the holy spirit made a gospel connection to my situation and here's how he did it i remembered as i stood there with you know these booths all around and people going back and forth to their conference talks i remembered that jesus knew what it was like to lose his home, to be homeless. I remembered that Jesus knew what it was like to live in poverty. I remembered that Jesus left the security of his heavenly home, and he left the security of his heavenly riches, and that he knew what that would be like. And at that moment, the incarnation of Jesus became beautiful to me, very beautiful to me. And in that moment, the incarnation of Jesus, it gave me a comfort. It comforted me. Jesus knows. Let's move on. The text instructs us to read, pray, and then speak. So you must read. You must read the word of God. Take it up. Next, pray. Verse 18. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Now, let's examine this. First of all, he says, he says to pray at all times in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. And so we said the battle, it's spiritual. The nature of the battle is spiritual. And so the weapons are spiritual. Your response is to be spiritual. Read the word, the spiritual word, and then pray. Pray in the spirit. The word is spiritual. Prayer is spiritual because your battle is spiritual. Whatever you are facing, you've got to be praying about it. And you've got to enlist other people to pray about it. Well, what does it mean? What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? It means pray as the Spirit of God moves you, as the Spirit of God strengthens you, as the Spirit of God prompts you. The Spirit may put somebody on your heart. The Lord may keep you up at night. You're concerned. You're concerned about your son. You're concerned about your sister. Pray for them as he prompts you. Pray for them. If you're a Christian, this is the kind of thing that will happen because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's not just a theological concept. Something is going on. There's life there. He will interact with you. He will connect you to other people who are inhabited by the Holy Spirit. And so you you definitely expect that the Holy Spirit will put on your mind other people who are believers who need you to be praying for them. They may not have called you. They may not have texted you but they'll come to mind. Move on that. Move on that prompting. Move on that urging and pray for the people that the Spirit puts on your heart. It could be short. You might just pray, would you protect him? Would you keep her from temptation? Would you give her strength so she won't crumble right now? Would you encourage their hearts? Now there's more. Verse 18 also says, pray at all times. Pray at all times with every prayer and request. And so that means Pray always. Be in prayer always. Here's how you want to think about prayer. You don't want to only think about prayer as, well, I actually go to this place, and we all sit in a room, and it's quiet, and we all bow our heads and close our eyes, and then somebody prays, and we try to agree in prayer. Well, yeah, that, that's prayer, but that's not the only kind of prayer, and that's not the prayer that you can only do. Prayer is also speech. Prayer is speech-directed God, and that means you can pray. You don't have to be wearing a suit. You don't have to be standing up here. You don't have to even be with other people, although it's good, and that's another form of prayer. You can pray. You can speak to God. Prayer is conversation with God, and what it's saying here is keep the conversation going. Keep the conversation going. Think about it this way. If you are a Christian, it means you are a condominium. Your heart, your person is a condominium, and God lives in you you're a tabernacle and so that means don't be silent talk to your house guest talk to him or you can think of it this way life is a road trip you are traveling from here all the way to heaven and on this road trip you've got a passenger with you you're not alone God is with you if you're a believer talk to him and so it says to pray always that means pray pray in all situations. Pray when you are nervous. Pray when you're nervous about the result of the application you submitted and you haven't gotten the answer yet. That means pray when you get the answer. Pray when you receive your test results. That's a time to pray. That means pray when your heart is breaking and the tears are flowing. That's a time to pray. That means pray the way the Psalms pray. The Psalms prove that God wants you to pray when you're joyful. The Psalms show and prove that God wants you to pray when you're afraid. And they prove that God wants you to pray when you're angry and when you're confused. When you pray in the moment, when you pray when you're standing there and someone has just, and you're just like, I, I don't know. That's a time to pray. Remember how, remember how, Nehemiah, he was at this high-stress situation in front of the king. He, he, he was going to say something. He was in trouble. And before he even spoke, he just he stopped and he prayed quietly in his heart. When you pray in the moment, you are bringing a spiritual weapon to your spiritual struggle. Now, some of you are people who are very good at answers, coming up with answers. A person asks you for advice and the way you're just wired, the way you're gifted, you've got answers. You've got an answer. Some of you, are very good at taking action. Someone comes to you, they've got a need, and you know what to do. You take action. You organize people. You're able to engage the community of help. Maybe you're quick to answer. Maybe you're quick to take action. But are you quick to pray? Are you quick to say, can, let's just stop, and before we do anything, before I say anything, let, can we just pray and ask God to guide us? Can, can we ask God to help us? You see this happening over and over in the Bible. God's people getting together to pray. Peter, their pastor, gets arrested. They don't protest, they pray. They pray together. I'm not against protest, but what do they first do? They pray. They also pray together when it's time to say goodbye to each other. Acts 20, Paul, their pastor, he knows he's about to die And so, this is going to be their last goodbye between him and the people. And all the elders come together. And what do they do? In tears, with tears, they pray together. And they also pray together. They pray together when it feels like everything is going wrong. You know what that's like. Everything is going wrong. That's what Jesus did. Jesus, in the garden, imminent to his betrayal, his beating. He was about to get beaten. And his death. What does he do? What would you do when everything in your world is falling apart? He asks his people to join him in prayer. He says, Come, pray with me. There's a story about my grandfather that is passed down. My, gran- my grandfather lived in a third world country. And so, in third world countries, things are very extreme, things are very unstable. And at that time, he had seven children, all of them girls. He was a businessman. And there came a time when his business was struggling, and he was scared. He was scared of losing his home. He was scared of, how am I gonna care for these seven girls and my wife if our business collapsed? And my mother, as a little girl, remembers what he did. He gathered them into their living room, and together they all knelt, and they prayed and she remembers him praying. As a little girl, she remembers her dad praying, and he was crying tears as he prayed for the Lord's help. She remembers that. And God heard their prayers, God provided, but but they prayed, they asked him. Now, look at what else he tells us about prayer. He says, pray for all the saints. Pray for all of the Lord's people. And this is wonderful, this is wonderful. Here's one reason why it's wonderful. When you do that, when you pray for all of God's people, other people, it pries you out of self-absorption. Maybe you, maybe you have significant health problems. Maybe you have unremitting stress with your school, with your work, and it's real, but it can, be, it can become very easy for your problems to consume all of your attention. And you should read, and you should pray about your problems, but you can also, and you should also, lift up your head. Get get out of that hole. Lift up your head, look around. The community, this community, contains people who have struggles. And and so you can pray for yourself, but you can also pray for them. Prayer for others, prayer for other people, will keep you from from being trapped in that self-centered mindset. Praying for others will stimulate in you unselfishness. Look around. Look around even in this room. There are some people here that are weighed down, maybe weighed down with immigration worries. There are some people who are, who are weighed down with financial stress, with work stress. There are others that are wrestling with deep emotional needs. Ask for prayer. Offer prayer. Pray for one another. Today, I I dare you. I dare you to be desperate. I dare you to be so desperate that you ask someone in this room to pray for you this week. Look at how Paul does this. This is exactly what Paul does. Paul, the great apostle, one of the greatest minds that had the greatest influence on all of Western civilization. Verse 19, he says, Pray also for me, pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth, to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Do you see how Paul offers prayer and how Paul asks for prayer? Paul says, church, Ephesians, pray for me. Do you do that? Are you comfortable with that? Do you ask people here to pray for you? What is it that Paul's asking for? What does Paul request? Two things. He, he asks for words, and he asks for boldness. Boldness. Paul says, I'm scared. Pray that I would be bold. Pray that I would be bold and not scared. He says this twice. Verse 19, pray that I would have boldness. Verse 20, pray that I might be bold. Do you get nervous? Is there something that you're scared about? Even today, some, some conflict that you know you've got to address, or, or you're scared about your health, invite someone into your fear. Invite someone into your fear and ask them to pray when you're afraid. Now, the text instructs us to read, pray, and then speak. And we'll look at this more next week, but just for today as we wrap up, see what else Paul's requesting here. He's asking for words words he says pray that i would have words to speak at my court appearance pray that god would show me how to speak there how to speak the gospel when i stand at my trial now paul struggled paul had legal troubles he was locked up this hearing was coming and he's saying i'm nervous about this but more important than my civil freedom paul says i want to speak the gospel I want to spread the offer of life and reconciliation to God through Jesus Christ." And so if you're a follower, this is also your desire and your your charge. You must speak. You must speak the gospel to people. You know people. You know people who need to be reconciled to God. They need the gospel. How are they going to believe? If no one speaks to them, maybe it could be you, maybe you could speak to them, but, but we don't speak. We don't speak partly because we're distracted, partly because we're self-absorbed, and we just miss the people that are around us, partly we don't speak because we're, we're afraid. We get afraid to speak about Jesus to other people. What will, what will, what will banish our fear? What will, what will take fear and just remove it and, and get it out of the way? What will free us to speak about Jesus to people, about the gospel? Well, here's one thing that banishes fear. It's being adored. It's being loved. The Bible says perfect love casts out fear. And that goes in both directions. When you love it can just override fear and it forces fear to leave and it goes the other way when you know that you were greatly loved so loved that you feel secure that also forces fear to leave and that's how Paul prays for people who are fearful earlier in the chapter chapter 3 we find out it's not just Paul who was afraid but the Ephesians they were also afraid and and he prays for them he prays for these Fearful and discouraged Ephesians. How does he pray? He prays that they would know the love of God, the deep roots of God's love for them. He says he prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, the love of Christ. And so this is something, isn't it, that all of us know something about as human beings? Isn't it the case that? All of us, if we're human and we're even somewhat in touch with all the social slights and challenges of families and friends and communities, we all long to be loved. This longing to be loved, to be wanted, to be known by somebody, to be remembered by the people that have passed on, how can you tell how can you tell if someone loves you here's one way that you can know that someone loves you they talk about you I was recently with with some other pastors and we were, we were catching up with each other we were getting to know each other and and I find often when I'm getting to know people I've got to control myself I've got to control myself in in talking about my kids. I don't want to be the guy who's always and only talking about his kids, talking about where they live, talking about what they're doing, talking about how some of them now ride unicycles, and and maybe you've seen them, and it's kind of fun, and and talking about their triumphs, talking about their sorrows, talking about the things that I, I find fun to do with them. It's easy for me to talk all the time about my sons and daughters because I love them. Are you aching To be loved in the gospel Jesus remembers you and Jesus talks about you at every key point in the gospel story of Jesus Jesus talks about you he talks about you when he prays for you isn't that what prayer partly is when he's praying for you he's talking about you he talks about you in prayer at the Last Supper John 17 9 I pray for them He talks about you in prayer on the cross when he was in agony, when it was the utter case of being misrepresented and being slaughtered for it. He talked about you then. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And he talks about you in his resurrection, ascension, and his divine session. Romans 8.34, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who always makes intercession for us. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is always talking about you to the Father, praying for you because he loves you. Do you sense that love, that he loves you? And does it it start to push down, push out that fear? Does it cast out fear? Does it, does it make you a little brave, brave and bold to speak? Read, pray, and then speak. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and we come to you with all of our mess and with all the things that we can't put back together, and we come to you with, with great hope and admiration because, Jesus, you have it all together. You have it all put together and you let them take you down for us. You stood in our place. You carried all of our sin. You were willing to embrace the shame that we brought to your reputation and to give us, by faith, through grace, a reputation that is peerless in the sight of God. We're so thankful for our Redeemer, Christ, and we pray, Lord, that you would draw us deeper into his love and into your presence. We ask in his name, amen.